see you this morning. I'm glad that you chose to come and worship with us. How many of you have ever had a plan? Like a really good plan. How many of you like to plan things out? That even on vacation, you plan. And you plan every day. We wake up at six o'clock. We have breakfast at seven. Then we are at nine o'clock. We're out doing this. You plan. How many of you plan so well that you actually have a plan B? And a C and a D. How many of you just don't even understand what I'm saying when I say a plan? Okay, I figure there'd be a few of you. Here's what a plan is. A plan is forethought. It's giving uh, actual brain power to what could happen, how should it happen, and here's how it's going to happen. That's a plan. Now, Larry Walters, maybe have you heard of this guy? He had a dream for 20 years that he would take a weather balloon flight. And in July of 1982, he made that dream a reality. On July 2nd, 1982, Larry Walters in Southern California went to his girlfriend's house, took a lawn chair, and tied 42 weather balloons together with helium. He tied them together. He got himself something to drink. He had a BB gun to get himself down. His goal was to hover around 30 to 60 feet in the air. He did not determine any kind of mathematic equation for the buoyancy that he was about to fulfill. He cut one of the strands holding him down. And here's what it says. The buoyancy was so powerful that when he cut the rope holding him down, he took off with such a jolt that from the other anchor broke, his glasses fell off, and immediately he began to climb 30, 60, 100 feet into the air. New York Times on the following day reported that airplane pilots from TWA and Delta Airlines all saw a man flying in his lawn chair (laughs) at a cold 16,000 feet in the air. Larry was a little scared at this point. He didn't quite know how to get himself down. So he takes his BB gun and he begins to fire. And he fires at one and kind of drops just a little bit, fires at two and begins to drop. One of the drops came so fast that he accidentally dropped his BB gun. (laughs) Plan A has now busted. How do I get down? He begins to fly over the whole LA basin. He goes into the air strips for LAX. It does cause traffic controls problems with all the airlines. He continues to stay and he continues to stay in the air for several hours. He eventually comes down and he comes down in Long Beach. In the area of Long Beach, as he comes down, his balloons and his, the ropes that he was tied to the lawn chair got so tangled up in the high, the electric wires up overhead that it actually knocked out power to a large portion of Long Beach. By the time they finally got him down, he ended up having several, uh, he was charged on several accounts for going into uh, flying without a pilot's license. Uh, no, nah, I'm just joking. He didn't get charged on that. But he did get charged for, for um, several different accounts. It was a dream. He put it into action, but yet he didn't really have good planning And he didn't have good planning to continue on. Now, I am not talking about your dreams today, and I'm not talking about how to have your dreams become a reality. 
Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going. Matthew chapter 5, we have spent some time in the Beatitudes. This is a Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has, has given. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus actually taught from the mountainside. And people were gathered around on a nice breeze, just great day. They're outside listening to Jesus teach. We've already talked about how that Jesus walked through the Beatitudes, and this is something radically different for our lives. And let me just make sure we repeat and re, re, recount for you that the Sermon on the Mount is not a new religious system. It was not a new way of living, and it was not more religious laws or rules to be implemented. It was not designed to actually give you more things to do as a to-do list for religion. What it's designed to do is to show you that you cannot in any shape or form live the religious life on your own. The religious life is not something that you can just put more laws, more actions, and then God just say, oh, you did a great job. Good job. Way to go. That's not the design. The design is to really, truly cause you to break under the weight, saying there is no way I can actually live what I just heard. And honestly, there's no way you can live a life that's pleasing to God unless you're connected to him. The passages that we're about to look at, you've heard them over and over again. You maybe even have repeated them. You maybe even can quote them today. But understand that it's within the context of the entire Sermon on the Mount, and it's within the context of the first 12 verses. When you live out the first 12 verses, when you live connected to the power of God, then you automatically will begin doing what we're about to read today. So this is not a new evangelistic push. This is the natural outflow of you living connected to God. You see the difference? Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter five, we're gonna be looking at verse 13 today. Next week, we're going to look at 14 and then and 15, and then the following week, we'll be looking at verse 16. Verse 13 today, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we have now read your word. We have now spent time praising you. God, I pray that our praise has truly come from a heart that has been ready to worship. That God, it has been a sweet sound in your ear. And then now as we come to your word, God, I pray that you would speak into our lives. God, I pray that you would give freedom so that when we hear your words, that God would have the hearts to hear and the willingness to apply it to our lives so that we walk out of here a different people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Salt. You are the salt of the world. You are the change agent. You are the agent in which God has designed to work through. You as in Christ followers, those who have truly lived out and tr truly try to say, God, I want to live out. I want to be your disciple. I want to be your follower. You are the change agent. There's no plan B. There's no other way. You are it. So why does he call us to be Salt. Doesn't that make you wonder why salt? It doesn't even seem that really important, salt. I mean, I use it on you know, food, but it's salt. In the Old Testament times, salt was very important. It was essential to life. One of the rabbi sayings in Sophirium 15 and verse eight says this, quote, the world cannot survive without salt, end quote. Salt was essential to the area and to the times in which Jesus is teaching. 
They would harvest it from the Dead Sea and they would bring it over. And in the dry, arid climate, your body would lose so much salt that in order to maintain your dehydration, you would actually take salt orally to make sure that you did not become dehydrated. Salt was so important that the Roman soldiers, they were paid in salt. You ever heard the saying, a man's not worth his salt? It comes from this time period. I can't imagine working all day and getting paid. Here's your lump of salt. All right, now what do I do? It's just just hard to get motivated by salt, isn't it? But salt was something that they used over and over again in the culture. Obviously, they did not have refrigeration, so their meats had to be preserved by adding salt. Salt was so important that it was used even as an enemy would conquer a land. He would go through and he would salt the crops. Salt is important in little doses, but in large doses, it's actually very harmful, isn't it? It kills a person. It actually kills vegetation. Do you remember the story of Gideon in the Old Testament, in the judge, book of Judges, chapter 9? Gideon's son, or Gideon dies, and his son takes the reign, Abimelech. And Abimelech kills 70 of his family members, and then he goes on a, a killing spree, and he goes out killing all around. And in Judges chapter 9, we hear about what Abimelech does. He goes into a city, and he kills the city, wipes the city out, and then he goes out to their fields, and what's he do? He takes salt and spreads it all throughout the harvest fields. Never be resalted again, reharvested again. It could never be reused again. Salt was also important in sacrifices. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13. They're actually told that you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offerings. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Salt was important for the sacrifices. Salt was also important for as a healing agent. Have you ever got salt in a wound? It burns, but it's actually very cleansing. Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 4. As the prophet is speaking, he tells of what was the normal process of the day, and it did not happen. He says, in the day that you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor were you rubbed with salt and then wrapped with swaddling clothes. See, as a baby was born, part of the way in which the baby was clean, they would take salt and they would rub it all over the baby. One, to dry off all the the fluids. Two, to make sure any cuts or abrasions on the baby were actually able to heal properly and would not become infected. Salt was used as medical reasons over and over again. It was very important to their way of life. Salt is also good for food that doesn't taste quite right. Do you ever use salt in your food? Over and over again, salt. Now, even on a food that tastes really good, like steak, I like salt on it. Why? It brings out the flavor. How about eggs? The other day I was having fried eggs, and you can't have fried eggs unless it's fried in bacon grease, period. That's just the way it's designed. God ordained it from the beginning. And then I'm eating my eggs, and after eating my, or starting to eat my eggs, do you know what I do? Pepper and, and Jamie asked me, Heath, that's just a bad habit. Job chapter six. (laughs) Right here. This is so biblical, men, I am helping you out today. If this is the only reason you came, here you go. Job chapter six, are you ready? 
Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Is there any taste in the white of an egg? Job is saying you can't even eat the egg unless there's salt on it. <laughs> All right, so salt was very important. Salt also is, I don't know what's happening. Do I need to get a new bike? Are we good? Am I hitting something? Okay, salt, very important. Here's what else it's important for. It's in, used in covenants. If I was to make a covenant with you, a covenant with you in which it's a binding promise, one in which I cannot break, you cannot break, one in which we are going to say this is going to happen forever. A marriage covenant was a covenant in which you were not designed to ever make, break. If I was going to go into another covenant as far as business react, uh, transaction, it's a covenant in which we say it's not going to be broken. What they would do is they would take salt. I would take salt and the other party would take salt. And they would take the salt and as they're making the promise to each other, the covenant together, they would pour the salt together. And it was a picture and an illustration to everyone around. As long as the salt grains are together and until the point in time in which you can actually separate my salt grains from their salt grains, this promise can never be broken. Matter of fact, when David became the king, God gave the covenant to David in a salt covenant. Listen to this, 2 Chronicles 13, 5. Ought you to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship of, over Israel from David and his sons by a covenant of salt. So was salt important? It's a necessary part of life. It was used over and over again from whether it's wages to what you eat to preserving the food that you have to the healing agent. Over and over again, salt was important to this way of life. So here we come back to our text, and it says, you are the salt. You are the salt. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the world. Salt. It's written in the emphatic tense, you. To make sure that you leave no doubt. You, those who have followed Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, you are the salt there's no other plan B. God did not design aliens to actually come to earth. If you don't do your job, I don't do my job. God did not design aliens to come to this earth to do your job. He's not going to write it in the stars. He's not going to write it anywhere else. You are the change agent. You, emphatically you. And it even goes to, to this extent. The you is written in plural. So understanding that we in the collective sense, we as Christ followers, you, me, together, every one of us, in the plural sense, we are it. There is no other design. There will be no other design. God has designed it so that you and I understand that you cannot walk out of this place today saying it's somebody else's job. You hear this and you want to do a pushback. And you say, wait a minute, Heath, you know, come on. I'm not really that charismatic. Hello, I actually feel like an evangelist, an old-time evangelist now. <laughs> Hellfire brimstone's coming, buddy. All right, now, you are the salt. You can do the pushback all you want. You can step back and say, Heath, wait a minute, that's just not my gifting. I've taken those spiritual gift tests, and I'm not an evangelist, so that's not for me. 
Here's what I will say. I love spiritual gift tests. I am thankful for them. And I think everybody in here needs to take them. I've taken them over and over again. I think it does great. It gives you a great enlightenment of what God is maybe, how God's gifted you. But just because it doesn't come up as an evangelist does not eliminate, eliminate you from this text. Over and over again, you will understand and you will see that you are the salt. You are it. There's no other plan. There's no other way. And you're, some of you will go, man, I'm just not, I'm not that charismatic. Come on, I can't do that. I, I'm not that bold. I don't have that kind of courage. You can push back all you want, but here's the deal. If you're trying to do it in an evangelistic push in which you are using a new system, I would agree. But because you are being connected to the Holy Spirit, to Jesus Christ, and you're living out what he's asked you to do, you can and you should and you will be salt. Do you see the difference? We're not asking you to do something that you can't do. This is done in the power of Jesus Christ. As you are connected to the teaching, as you're connected to the word of God, as you are abiding in Christ, you automatically become and you automatically begin to live out this phrase. You are the salt. You are the light. Well, Heath, you know, if we're the salt, then how do we really apply this to our lives? Let me just give you at least three ways that I think you can at least apply this to your life. Number one, in order for us to, to say that we are the salt, then we have to create thirst for people. You have to go there. How do you create thirst? When you live out the Beatitudes, when you start living out the word of God, what it does is it creates a thirst for people to say, what is different about you? Why do you act the way you do? Why do you do those things? When you're in the midst of trials, when you're in the midst of suffering, man, I've gone through suffering and I don't handle it the way you do. Why are you so different? The way your kids act, it's so different than mine. What's different about your family? What's different about your marriage? You're always talking good about your wife. Come on. How do you do that? Do you see this? You're creating the need and creating the thirst for what you have. Paul actually says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15 and 16 that you're actually, you're the savor, you're the flavor of actually bringing people to either life unto life or death unto death. Some people will see it and some people will say, yeah, I like it. Some people will say, no, I don't. But you're to create a thirst. You're also, as salt, you are the preserving force, the preserving agent in this world. You are to be pushing back. The world is in decay. The world is falling apart. And God has designed it so that you, through the Holy Spirit, are pushing back the darkness and you are preserving this world. Well, Heath, come on. I don't know about that. Let me give you the best illustration. You ready? How about Abraham and Lot? Abraham is up on the side of the mountain overlooking a large valley. God is having a conversation with him. And as God is having a conversation with Abraham, God says, Abraham, I just want to let you know I am going to destroy those two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Their sin has come up against me. I, I, I feel it all over and over. I've given them time after time. They're not repenting. They're not following me. And Abraham looks down and he knows that his nephew Lot is down in there. And he says, okay, God, what if, what if there are 50 righteous people? If there are 50 righteous people, would you not spare those two cities? And God says, yeah, I guess I would. And then Abraham it's a little bold. 
And he starts negotiating with God. He says, okay, God, if you would do it for 50, would you do it for 45? Can you imagine bartering with God? In a, in a loud, audible conversation, God, okay, if you did it for 45, would you do it for 40? Okay, God, if you would do it for 30, would you not do it for 20? And he gets them down to 10. And here's gotta be the, the thought. Okay, Abraham knows that, okay, my, my nephew's down there, that's Lot. He has a wife and he has two kids, that's four people. So out of two cities, there's gotta be at least six people who are righteous and living for God. Can you imagine? That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Then God says, if there are 10 people who are living for me, there are 10 people who are being the preserving agent, then I'll stop my wrath from coming upon Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels go through, they don't find 10. You see, if Lot would have been doing what he was called to do, Sodom and Gomorrah would have been saved. Abraham had already negotiated. Church, whether you realize it or not, in your school, in your homes, in your neighborhoods, in your jobs, in the places that you go and work out, in all the organizations that you're involved in, all the sports that your kids are involved in, you are the preserving force to that area. You're it. You are to be bringing God into the conversation. That is why we've actually asked all of our home groups, all of our small groups, to be involved in, in, in projects, not for church growth, this has nothing to do with church growth. This has everything to do. If you are truly abiding in Christ, then you automatically become the preserving force throughout the world. Does that make sense? It's just how it works. It's just how you, who you are. Preserving force. You're also, if we're the salt of the world, let me say it this way. You have to be noticed. Salt is always noticed. I can tell when my food doesn't have salt on it. I can tell when McDonald's fries don't have enough salt. I can tell, you can notice when salt is there when it's not. And you are to be living in such a way that people know that there's a difference. You are to be talking in such a way that they know, hey, that's a Christ follower. A difference. Now, here's where it's gonna get really strange for you. If you thought it was hard, wait till you hear this. Ready? You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt, what? Loses its flavor, loses its taste. I've never had salt that's lost its taste, have you? I always buy it out of a canister. It always comes out salty and you know, it just tastes like it's supposed to, salt. When they would harvest it from the Dead Sea, it could become mixed with gypsum. And when it was mixed with gypsum, what would happen is in the containers, the containers would end up becoming contaminated. And as it would sit, there was a chemical reaction and the salt could lose its flavor completely. So they'd have a salt in their home and in having it in their home, if it became contaminated, then it would lose its flavor and it would be nothing more than just chalky paste yuck. So they would then do what it says next. It is no longer good for anything. You can't resalt it. You can't make it salty again. It was good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. They would lose its power. They would say, it's not good. They'd take it and they'd walk out of their homes. They would go out to the street and they would throw it out onto the street where people are walking back and forth and it becomes part of the dirt that everybody's walking back and forth on. It's thrown out. As a Christ follower, 
Catch this. Your job and my job is to be on mission with God. What was his mission? To seek and to save that which was lost, to make disciples, and then allow those disciples to go out and make more disciples. I love missions and I love what Heather and James are doing. And I'm so thrilled. It thrills my heart when I hear people talking about it. Why? Because that is the exact core, the exact thing that we are all called to do. It's not just for missionaries. It's not just for anybody else. It's not just for those super spiritual people. And here's what he's saying. And this is Jesus teaching. So if you have a problem, take it up with him. He says, if you're not on mission with me, then you're really not doing what I've asked you to do. I don't even have a place for you and I'm not gonna use you and I'm not gonna do anything through your life. You wanna know why maybe God's not answering some of your prayers? Why you're not seeing quite God do some things? Maybe because you're not fulfilling the mission and he's kind of pushed you off and said, forget it. If you're not gonna follow me and you're not gonna live out what I've asked you to live out, then you, I have no use for you. Are you, are you. Do you see how serious this is? And you're going, well, wait a minute. He, is, you're, this is really hard. You're right, it's extremely hard. But here's the beautiful thing. It's not, called, it's not calling you to do it on your own power. He's just saying, if you live my word out, then you're gonna have these conversations and then you're automatically gonna be preserving people and you're automatically gonna be salty. This is your job. This is your calling. I read a story by President Woodrow Wilson. He told this story, and here's what he said. I was in a very common place. I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a personality had entered the room. A man had come in quietly upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut. And so he sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though it was not in the least didactic, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. I was, before I got through with what was being done for me, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service because D.L. Moody was in that chair next to me. I purposely lingered in that room after he left and noticed the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the entire barber shop. They talked in undertones. They didn't even know his name, but they knew that something had elevated their thoughts. I felt that I had left a place as I should have left the place of worship. My admiration and esteem for Mr. Moody became very deep indeed. End quote. When you leave places, when you leave that restaurant, when you leave those normal, ordinary, common, it doesn't seem miraculous at all. Have you been the preserving force in that room? Did you bring God into the conversation? Were you noticed because you did something that was far more than just the average ordinary. You did the spiritual work of being salt. What would happen? 
What would happen if a handful of Christians actually took it upon themselves to live on mission with God? What would happen in the schools? What would happen? It would radically change, wouldn't it? Church, you and I, radically connected to Jesus Christ, radically living out what he's asked us to do, being the salt. What an incredible thought. 